Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom Podcast. I'm Brian Barnett, creator and host of The Last Symptom. And um, I'm particularly happy that you're joining me this for this episode because it's the season finale. My goodness, the season finale snuck right up on us, didn't it? And we're getting ready to go into our sixth year or sixth season of The Last Symptom Podcast, which is very exciting for me. You know, I'm biased, but I think that uh, every year that passes, the last symptom becomes an even greater force for good, and I'm excited about the changes that have happened within these past five years. I'm looking forward to uh, all sorts of new offerings and, and tools and things that we'll be discussing in this upcoming sixth season. We're going to kind of do a review of the many topics we discussed in this season, the fifth season. A lot of things we discussed, a lot of really, really important, valuable information for people uh, who are looking for insights, wanting to be healthy, maintain their emotional health, escape emotional disorders for real. We're going to talk about uh, some other things too, though. It's not just going to be a review. We're going to talk about perceptions and just how powerful they are. Got some illustrations or some uh, comparisons to make with you to really drive this home. And uh, I was thinking, uh, I can't, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who is out there educating people just about how powerful perceptions are and just about how much control they have over our lives really put in a focus on that and an emphasis. I mean, who else is telling you that? I think you're only hearing that from the last symptom. And if you're not only hearing it from the last symptom, you're only getting that focus from the last symptom on perceptions. And only here uh, are you getting insights about really just the force that perceptions are in our lives. We're going to talk about destroying narratives. You might remember that this past this season, season five, we talked about um, the narrative. Uh, that was the name we gave to it. If you'd like to know more about that, maybe you could go back and, and re-listen to it. Finally, if we have time, I'd like to share some campfire stories with you folks, just to kind of wind it down in a, you know, an entertaining and pleasurable way. It's been a while, ain't it? Been a while since I've shared a campfire story with you. I was listening to a couple of the older episodes the other day, and there was a time I felt like I went too far in one direction. Like I, I, I was getting too goofy and and light with our discussions here. And uh, but listening to some of the older episodes, I think that maybe I went in the other direction this time. <laughs> maybe I don't share enough light stuff with you. And, uh, yeah, entertaining stories and stuff like that. So we'll get a campfire story in today. Let's do some announcements. TheLastSymptom.com, that's my website. Full free, that's home base, let's say. Plenty of free and paid resources there. A fellow the other day writes me, he says, you know, I went to your website, what's all these free resources you're talking about? All I see is paid resources. Well, feller, how about five years of free content? It's out there in the form of this podcast. That is a lot of work. That's a lot of information. A lot of really valuable information. So I don't want to hear what's where's all this free content you're talking about. 
there's articles over there there's my group you can benefit from all the content that I put up on my group at thelastsymptom.locals.com uh, and I mean just, just a, a mountain of by far I offer many more free resources that you're listening to this show right now is a free resource I offer far more free resources than I do paid resources and I hope I can always do it that way but I have to have certain things uh, certain paid resources as well so that I can keep doing this it's only because of that that you were able to hear this show today that I'm still here after five years it's the only way it works so if you would like to uh, support me in some way consider joining our our group and becoming a supporter over there at thelastsymptom.locals.com the links are at thelastsymptom.com yeah, so you just go there go to the paid and free resources section of the site and um, it's a very simple way for you to support my work in a financial way but if you'd like to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me on zoom or on the phone you can schedule that right through the website there and of course there's the last symptom fundamentals course that's that two-week intensive uh, pre-recorded course that you can enroll in right there at thelastsymptom.com the most uh, information heavy insight heavy tool that I have produced in my time with the last symptom and it's really valuable for for anybody who's dealing with any emotional problems you know if, if you've been if you've only had in your life painful relationships that end poorly you don't have to know you don't have to get a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder or any specific diagnosis if if that's just if that is true in your case that all of your relationships have ended painfully and have been chaotic then you need to be taking the last symptom fundamentals course if your family life is full of angst and friction you need to be taking the last symptom fundamentals course uh, if you feel unhappy depressed you need to be taking the last symptom fundamentals course I don't care what diagnosis you have you can benefit from taking the last symptom fundamentals course so really consider it and that's all the announcements let's uh, review some of the topics that we talked about this past year we talked about how low self-esteem and low self-worth ain't a thing those two things don't exist and I was actually expecting to get some blowback from that but I think that once I explained it in the show the evidence was irrefutable the point of the show was that there's no such thing as low self-esteem there's no such thing as low self-worth because you either do believe in inherent value or you don't and if you don't you don't believe in low self-worth you believe in zero worth whether either consciously or unconsciously so there's no in-between there's no such thing as low self-worth or low self-esteem there's only such thing as self-esteem and no self-esteem that's all that's all that there is so you know as I'm going through these these this is not a meant as a, a show for me to thoroughly explain all of the things uh, that we're going to mention here but it's a review of this season so if there's something in there you say wait a second I'm not sure I, I agree with that or I understand that well what you would want to do then is you would want to go and find the episode in this season where we very thoroughly discuss that topic alright but I'm this is just a review of the topics we did discuss we talked about seeing people as people for real and all that means all that it doesn't mean we talked about how the way that unhealthy people people view other people unconsciously they're not even aware they're doing it in most cases we talked about the things that prevent people from viewing other people as real people and what's required to fix that self-sabotage getting in our own way how to handle situations when you realize that you're getting frustrated or bothered 
we talked about people who aren't willing to make a distinction between subjective and non-subjective things. We answer an interesting question. Does being a good person get you used? Have you ever felt that way? Being a good person gets you used. Is that true? We discussed that. It was a really interesting discussion. When a lie is not a lie. There's a lot of people out there uh, think that they have to share everything share everything with everybody and if they don't they're lying to the person well that ain't true and we discussed that and that was a really interesting discussion I thought one of the more important episodes was uh, when we discussed feeling like you're trying and trying and not making any progress what is that proof of it's proof of something but it's not proof of what most people believe it's proof of we discussed uh, fail, the, the failure to recognize your place in life and being content to stay in your place. A lot of people might prickle up at that, thinking, you know, that's limiting. I don't want anybody limiting me, right? Well, that's a fair, that's a fair thought. Um, so go listen to that episode for the insights that uh, I shared there to see why that's not the case at all. It's not limiting. And it's very interesting. <laughs> it just occurred to me. I probably should have worded it that way because that's the more interesting way to word it. Is that recognizing where our place is and staying in that is not limiting, it's liberating. And uh, if that sounds like a contradiction, maybe that's the show for you. I talked about pointless debate not wasting time on conversations with disingenuous people I hope that um, those of you who heard that show went on to apply those things in your life and that it saved you all kinds of time and frustration and just pointless uh, non-constructive waste of energy another really really important show from this season was uh, we talked about when to never make decisions when to make decisions when to never make decisions. Also, not wasting time looking back, wishing that you had known certain things sooner. It's all right to look back, learn from the past, reminisce on the past and things like that. But particularly what I was talking about there was not looking back and wishing I had known something sooner or that you had known something sooner. And the reasons why that's just not constructive. We discussed relationships, empathy, intimacy. We just we discussed love. That's always a popular topic. Uh, and we discussed we discussed it in the context of people having an absurd obsession with relationships. I just talked to somebody the other day, a little older than me, but as I got to talking to her, she admitted she has never not been in a relationship since she was like 14. Well, you know what being in a relationship does. It splits your energy and time and attention and everything, right? Like any focus that you might have on yourself, once you get into a relationship, has to, you have to give to the relationship. The effect of that, when you've never spent any time alone, you've never not been in a relationship, is who do you not develop a relationship with? Ah, the most important person you have to develop a relationship with yourself yourself so imagine being 55 years old never having not been in a relationship do you think that that person a person in that situation knows intimacy with herself or himself absolutely not one of the greatest blessings in my life was being on my own working these things out getting to know myself for real and it's very it's an it's an odd thing because we've always been us and we think we know ourselves but we don't you know think the things you do right you know the things you like but if you've never developed a relationship with yourself you don't know why you like those things you might be able to give some kind of flippant superficial answer to that question but the real reasons, 
you, you don't know. You don't know. You just do. That's the answer. So intimacy with oneself is really important for building a relationship with oneself, to really getting to like oneself, to being patient and compassionate with oneself, and uh, those sorts of things. We talked about how you can tell if you're not really happy, even if you think you are. Remember I told you we did a show and uh, talked about the narrative. Well, in that show, we not only discussed the narrative, but we, uh, we talked about a figurative bowl cereal. And we also talked about another interesting thing that maybe you've never thought of before. That how you feel about people is not what determines if they're good or bad. That's something that's pretty profound. Because that's when you look around at the world, that's the that's the metric, that's the measure that a lot of people use. Well, I I like this person, I, I feel um, I have strong feelings of loyalty to the person, so they must be good, right? Well, if you think about it, that can't be what determines whether a person's good or not. Just how you feel about them, which always goes back to our feelings don't determine realities, do they? Uh, let's see here. We talked about the observer effect. We talked about uh, the most important thing that you must always keep in mind about people at all times is that they are people. Does that make sense to you? If it don't, go back and listen to that show. I'll, I'll give you an example. Well, I would argue that this fatal implosion that happened in the ocean in that submersible happened because those people did not look at the person taking them down as a person. Does that make sense? They looked at him and they said, we're safe because there's no way that we could be in any danger given the fact that this guy has a lot of money, a lot of zeal, no, and he knows what he's talking about for sure. There's no way that he's being motivated by greed or um, arrogance or anything like that. He's above all that. So we're perfectly safe. Let's go down and see the Titanic. And then there, the sub implodes. Well, why did the sub implode? You know, we haven't discussed this at all in any of these shows, so this is brand new. But why did the sub implode? Well, you could argue that it because it wasn't made well enough and these sorts of things, but the reason it imploded, I mean, the reason why it was down in the water at all, the reason why it existed at all, was because of one man's hubris. And what is hubris? It's a, it's a defect of the human condition. So now it, is it beginning to become clear why you should never look at a person and put some other category above the fact that they're a person? Like even your doctor, even your doctor is a slave to all things that human beings are slaves to. You know, like the logical fallacies, preferences, biases, all these things. So that's why I say the most important thing you should always keep in mind about other people is that they are people. Are you doing that? Do you want to hear more of that discussion? Well, go find that episode. It was really interesting. In that same episode, we talked about how we all have multiple versions of ourselves within ourselves and what that means. It means you've got work to do, <laughs> is what that means. Because there's some six-year-old version of yourself inside of yourself. Did that six-year-old version of yourself get his need, his or her needs completely met by his uh, caretakers when he or she was six or six years old? If not, the six-year-old's still in there needing those things taken care of. You can do that now as an adult. We talked about happiness being a natural state. Happiness is a natural state. Well, what does that mean? It means if you're not experiencing it, it's not like you have to go out and create it. It's that it's already trying to happen. Something you're doing is obstructing it. That's important. I think I used the illustration of a faucet or el grifo in that show. So the faucet in your home, when you turn the faucet on and water begins to flow, 
the faucet is not making water flow. The faucet isn't making the forcing the water through. The truth is, is that when you turn the faucet off, what you're doing is you're obstructing the water from flowing. It's always trying to come out. It's just that when you turn the faucet on, what you're doing is you're removing the obstruction. Now the water can flow out of your faucet. That's really interesting, isn't it? Well, that's what it means to say that happiness is a natural state. Under normal conditions, you would be experiencing it. Something you're doing is preventing that if you're not happy. Or let's say content. I interviewed my cousin Jay. That was a two-part episode and uh, really interesting. He's had a very colorful life. Grew up in really colorful circumstances and Uh, all the effects that that has had on him, the losses that he's experienced and things like that. We talked about uh, what makes a perfect parent. Would you like to know? Go listen to uh, the episode where I talk about that. In the same episode, I talk about the only way to bring things that are out of balance into balance. Talked about humility, sabotaging behaviors, the participation trophy mentality. Speaking about like this participation trophy mentality, Uh, Do I agree with that or do I disagree with it? Well, you'd be surprised. You'd be really surprised. But it offered us the opportunity to really discuss some much more profound things. One of my favorite episodes from this season, if you ain't heard it, please search search for it. I think it was called uh, Silverback Gorilla and Honeybee Lessons. What a wonderful episode that was. You know, even I, myself, have gone back and re-listen to that two or three times. So if you ain't heard it, please go go find that. We talked about what can we, we can learn about emotional health by observing silverback gorillas and honeybees. We also talked about not minding the power, the power that is in not that just comes with not minding, and also your individual value as a person, your individual value. We talked about what does entropy and spatial disorientation have to do with your emotional health. Go watch that episode and find out more. In the same episode, we talked about do you exploit patterns and cycles to your benefit. If you're not doing that already, you, you need to get started doing that. can improve your life. We think of exploitation as being a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. If there's a pattern and you can recognize it, then you can exploit that pattern to your benefit, to your daily benefit in real life every day. Talked about the dramatic, powerful effects the failure to make distinctions can have on life. And uh, this also was, I think, an important episode because we talked about how, you know, if um, your partner, for example, if you're living with an unhealthy partner and you have children, A lot of people worry, well, my children are doomed to a life of emotional disorder. Not necessarily. And in fact, what I mentioned in that episode was that those children, if you you play your cards right, children in that situation could actually walk away being healthy with an advantage. So be sure to hear that show or watch that show. And uh, we talk about forgiveness, letting go of resentment, allowing somebody back into your good graces, settling debts. The the forgiveness episode was chock full of really important things. Acceptance, denial, emotional rebellion, all of these were in that forgiveness episode. Five circumstances when you cannot healthily forgive a person without consequences and conditions. We talked in, in that same episode, we talked about this fictional world of shoulds that does not exist, but that a lot of people are living in We talked about how the solution to almost everything is simply thinking different and just how powerful that is. And what do you think I was referring to there? Perceptions, how we are perceiving life. Talked about how when, when struggle is good and help is not in the following episode. And then last week we talked about resentment, all about resentment. What are some of the changes we saw this year? Well, we went from this show being aired every week, so it was a weekly show, made a change there, didn't we? And what we did instead is that I started doing a regular regular live stream on our locals group. 
every Monday. So the live stream actually takes the place of an episode of this show uh, every other week. And I'm still, you're, you still have access to more content than just this show than you ever have. So if you're on our group and you're taking advantage of those live streams, the beauty of that is that you can interact with me, you can ask your questions in real time through the chat. And so it's, it's like the benefit of the Last Symptom podcast, but with some added benefits. So we'd like to encourage you to join us over there on our locals group and start taking advantage of those Monday live streams. You know, I've long said that a lot can happen in one year. So who knows what this new sixth season is going to bring this new year. Uh, I've got some ideas in the works. We'll see if I am able to stretch myself that thin, but it's exciting nevertheless. Let's get into some other topics for this episode. Have you ever felt like things have always been the way they are, and they will always be this way? You kind of feel like in a time loop. Have you ever felt that way? It it usually happens to me when I don't want to be where I'm at. I have a very specific memory of being in um, New England. Oh boy, the New England winters are long. And I I remember uh, maybe my second year there, I'd only been there for two years. I think my entire time there was only there for about three years. But about two years in, There was an enormous lightning strike that happened just just right here. Shook everything. Anywho, I was in uh, New England, and uh, it was in the middle of the wintertime. Everything gray and dreary, and I, I just remember feeling like I have always been here. I, I'm never getting out of here. Not that I, I didn't hate New England. It just, um, a- after a time... I realized that it wasn't for me long, uh, for the long haul. It wasn't my future. I, I knew that. It didn't feel like a good fit for me for a long period of time. I love my time in New England. I love that I had that experience, and I'm very fond of New England. I, I love my memories from there. I love the culture there and everything like that. But there were a lot of things, too, that were um, that clashed with just my natural culture and background and and the way that I I view the world and stuff like that. Also, you know, the, a big part of that was that the further east you get, the more compacted people are. Like, there's a lot more people out east, and they're all compacted into a relatively small size. This creates terrible traffic. There's also tons of crime and I couldn't believe it uh, Springfield uh, Massachusetts for example uh, to this day the most debased city I've ever been around and I and I worked there uh, it was just debased and violent and um, anybody who would say that, that, that I'm exaggerating the thing you are pardon me for saying, but um, you've been desensitized to it because in comparison with like where I'm from, it was off the charts. I mean, and you got to remember, I worked in the ED. I worked in the emergency department of the local hospital there. So I got to see all the things coming in and what people do to each other. Uh, I just saw in the news last week, uh, I think it was a an eight-year-old girl or a nine-year-old girl shot down by her neighbor there, right there in Springfield. And just disgusting, disgusting things like that happen. And, you know, all kind of violence and hate and filth. And and you get out there and the people there living there don't, it's like, it doesn't phase them. It doesn't phase them at all. It was really depressing to me. And so those were kind of the circumstances. And uh, 
You know, I know there might be folks who are from New England hearing this. I know you folks are proud of of your background and the area that you grow grow your you live in and you've grown up in and everything. And and I, I'm not challenging that. I'm not you know trying to spit on that at all. Um, but something's got to be done about about the conditions out there. If you can't see the conditions as for what they are, or if you view them as acceptable, um, like I say, it's only because you've become desensitized to it. Anybody who would come up there from a small town in uh, Appalachia or probably the Midwest or Indiana or you know any of these middle states, middle towns and states in the, in the country would get up there and I mean they they'd see things that you you can't see if you've lived there your whole life. I mean it would it would they would feel a more accurate sensitivity to what's just the the lunacy of what's going on out there in a more intense way than people who've grown up there and who've just been around it for their whole lives. Got a little off topic there. My point was that I remember sitting in my apartment one one day, many days, and just thinking like, it feels like I've always lived here. Like, it feels like I was never in Philadelphia. It feels like I was never back home. It feels like I never grew up back home. Like, I've always been here. And this is the way things are always going to be for forever. Of course, when you're really going through uh, hard times, I mean, when life is tough and you're unhappy, and mind you, I wasn't unhappy because of living in New England. I was unhappy because I was right at the beginning of my authentic recovery. Things were still really raw and tough. It was during that time, if you'll remember, that I inadvertently come across a, a picture of my ex-wife Diana having gotten remarried on social media somewhere I wasn't looking for her I wasn't doing that I just stumbled across it it was devastating it was devastating to me to see that because here I was in so much pain still um, recovering from the agony of that experience of that separation and divorce and here she was already remarried it was like like I had never even existed all that was painful really painful and so all these things contributed to this sense of time not moving and things being the way they've always been and they will always be this way well like I said I was only there for like three years so a year another year passed and I was gone my whole life changed my whole surroundings changed and everything I don't have the same routines, I'm not seeing the same people, I'm not going to the same places. My life is different. And it happened within a year. So I just want to tell you that story for those of you who feel like things have always been the way they are and they're never going to change. I know it feels like that, but remember our feelings don't determine reality. So remind yourself, push back against that feeling with your thoughts remind yourself that though it may feel like that a lot can happen in a year you know I, I say it all the time because it's true a lot can happen in a year so hang in there don't give up don't get discouraged does it sound like I'm telling you how to feel you're right. I shouldn't say don't get discouraged. What I should say instead is don't think in discouraging ways. Don't wallow in discouraging thoughts. Instead, choose to think, uh, remind yourself what the more accurate, what the more likely truth is. The more likely truth is that things seem that way. But a lot, a lot of changes are happening all the time. All the time. Let's talk about destroying the narrative. which is also a discussion about perspectives. Not long ago, I saw a video that a fella had done. First of all, I should say, my, my daughter has these really romanticized notions of Paris. And uh, when she talks about where she'd like to go someday, 
it's always Paris, Paris, Paris. She's really got this notion of just how fantastic it is. And, of course, that's the consensus, it seems to be, right? You see it in magazines. You see people talking about it everywhere. Has there ever been a romantic comedy ever made that did not end up in Paris or start in Paris? So you got an idea. They paint an idea of Paris. But I saw a video of a guy walking around Paris, but and within sight of the Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower is right there in the background. And he's just two, you know, maybe two blocks away from the Eiffel Tower, two or three blocks, walking around, filming the conditions there in Paris, just a short distance away from the Eiffel Tower. But I mean, it's always there, right there in the background. And it was like a trash dump. It was horrible, the conditions. People sleeping in the streets, trash everywhere, buildings run down, looking shabby and ugly. Definitely, definitely not the Paris that you that they show you on TV and in the movies and in magazines and things of that nature. What are they doing when they when you like look in a magazine or you see a movie or something like that? They're only showing the best parts, aren't they? So you know, in that episode we talked about not too long ago, I described that as the narrative. So if you're talk, if we're talking about that in your personal life, that would be like my parents are great people, my husband's not abusive, all these things. These are narratives, right? If you're only highlighting the good, but never factoring in the ugly, how's that any different? It is not different. It's the same thing as this guy walking around Eiffel Tower. Uh, Well, it's the same thing as like National Geographic only showing you Paris from the most beautiful, in the most beautiful photographs, but failing to show you all the realities that coexist with that. And we do that. We do that when we're unhealthy. We create a narrative. And the narrative creation process involves highlighting the things that support our narrative but omitting anything that does not support our narrative. I was working with a, an Egyptian guy, uh, an Arabic interpreter, back in 2015. And, you know, I don't know too much about Egypt. To this day, I still don't. But I, I knew even less then. But I had always had this notion of like, wow, it'd be really great to go see the pyramids. It'd be really great to see that. And the way I imagined it was it's out in the middle of the desert, out in the middle of nowhere. You have to ride camels for days to get there, camp out in the desert, and then you finally get there. And here's these wonders of the world out, out in the middle of the desert. That's narrative. If you think that about the pyramids, then you've been sold a narrative. So what would that be like, that narrative? That would be like what we just talked about. Like if we're applying that to emotional health, it would be like, you know, I'm a good person. There's, you know, that guy's a good person. Uh, He's loving and all this stuff when we're omitting a bunch of things that challenge that narrative, right? You, You cannot arrive at the truth by means of the narrative. The, the truth doesn't need a narrative. To arrive at the truth, you have to combine all the facts, the good facts and the bad facts, the, the pretty and the ugly, to arrive at truth. But the narrative doesn't do that. The narrative omits the ugly. Or, you know, it can work the other way around, too. Like, if you hate somebody, you just hate them. They, they drive you nuts. And, you know, you just really despise a person you'll do the same thing if you're unhealthy what you'll do is you'll amplify the all the ugly and omit the good so it's not like it just works one way or the other but anyway i was talking to this arabic interpreter he says we you know about the the pyramids right there there's a major city right there so i think it's giza if if you visit the egyptian pyramids every picture they show you of the pyramids it's always like the pyramids and just vast amounts of desert, right? That's because they're only taking the picture from one side. But if you turn around, 
this enormous bustling city of Giza is right there, right on the edge of right next to the pyramids. Well, that, that destroys the narrative, doesn't it? I mean, when that guy, that photographer, if he were to turn around, <laughs> he's filming the pyramids. It, they, they even omit the, uh, the city of Giza when uh, they're doing these documentaries of exploring the pyramids and stuff like that, right? They, they, they do it in a way to create a narrative that they're out there in the middle of nowhere. And if the cameraman were simply to turn around, you would see this major city right there. Major city, cars, all this modern stuff. Uh, I always think about Machu Picchu. People always tell me, oh, I, I, I want to go see Machu Picchu. Well, there was a time where I would have liked to have seen Machu Picchu too. Not now. Not now that I know that it's all baloney narrative. Because when you see it, it all the pictures, even pictures of your friends who have been there, isn't it true that when they take their pictures, they try to cut out as many people as they can from the picture? So it looks like it's just them and Machu Picchu. Just barren Machu Picchu, like they're up there, like Indiana Jones exploring through the jungle coming up on Machu Picchu, right? It's not like that at all. What they're doing when they take their selfies and stuff is they're purposely cutting, uh, taking pictures that cut the enormous crowds up there out of the picture so it appears more barren and more like there's more solitude than there actually is I'm kind of sick of pictures of Machu Picchu because that's not what they're showing you is not what's the, what the truth is somebody I know went to Machu Picchu and said they had to hike on for like hours to get there on a trail that was crowded with people like you're walking at the mall with hundreds of other people on a, on the trail to get to Machu Picchu where are all those hundreds of people go once you get up there they're still there they're all taking their selfies and stuff so the idea that you're up there all by yourself and Machu Picchu is just barren is a lie it's narrative one thing I recently have gotten interested in is uh, telephoto lenses and uh, the reason why I got interested in them and started doing research on them is because uh, on the internet you'll find these folks who go around and they will like go to a filming location of a major movie and then they will take a picture of themselves at that location and what I started noticing was that the picture so even though they've got the original screenshot from the film there and they've got their selfie there what I noticed was that the back, the buildings in the background and stuff in the film always look closer to the character than the selfie taken by just the normal person. The normal person, the buildings look way off in the distance, and it, it changes the look of everything. changes the look and the feel of everything. Um, I can give you some examples of this. Uh, just the other day, I saw somebody who took a... Took a, had a picture taken of them walking down the street like toward Los Angeles in the same location from the movie They Live, John Carpenter's They Live. And in the film, the screenshot, he's walking. Los Angeles looks like it's right there. It's quite big. He's walking, and there's big Los Angeles right there that he's walking towards. And then in the, the amateur picture... There's the guy in Los Angeles, just like a dot on the horizon. And I said, well, there's got to be something. There's got to be some explanation for that. Another example is Terminator 2. guy went to a filming location for Terminator 2 where Arnold Schwarzenegger stopped on the motorcycle talking to the kid. Again, I'm like, in the, in the, in the screen grab, the buildings behind him look like they're right there. But in the amateur version... The buildings look like they're five blocks away. So what, what explains that? Well, I figured out that it's, it's the lenses that they're using on the camera, on these professional cameras. And it's called a telephoto lens. What it does is it kind of pulls the background up toward the front closer to the, the main subject of the picture or of the video. Really creates a beautiful effect, and, and now I can't unsee it. Like every movie, I'm like, telephoto lens, telephoto lens, telephoto lens. Well, a telephoto lens really, it distorts reality, doesn't it? 
And isn't that what we're talking about here with all these things? We're talking about a distortion of reality. Well, what is the cause of people's problems who are dealing with emotional disorders? Distortions of reality. Distortions of perceptions of reality, I should say. Perceptions are everything. They affect everything we do. I mean, your entire decision-making process is built on your perceptions of any given situation, right? If I think I'm being attacked by a ninja, well, how am I going to react? I'm going to react as if I'm being attacked by a ninja, whether I am or not. That's how powerful perceptions are. If I perceive that I have nothing to worry about at all, I'm perfectly safe and life is good and I have no worries in the, in the universe, how, what effect is that perception going to have on me? Ah, boy, I'm just relaxed, calm as can be, happy, treating everybody good, right? Perceptions are everything. Makes me think of uh, light refraction in water. Do you know what I'm talking about? So, have you ever held your hand underwater like you're at the beach or something? You hold your hand underwater and it looks like your hand, like when your arm goes into the water, it looks like your arm breaks. <laughs> like it breaks and now your arm's over here. Like your arm's going into the water here, but it looks like there's a, like your arm has broken and now the, the arm that's in the water is over to the side next to where it should be that's that's this phenomenon of light refraction in water if you want to test that get yourself a, a gig and spear a spear to like gig fish gig or spear fish and, and see how much success you have on the first try it's really hard because when you're looking through the water where where you see the fish is not where the fish is and so people who get really adept at spearing fish or frogs or anything in water have to factor that in. They have to say, based on my understanding of what the this light refraction is doing, it's making the fish appear off to the side from where it really is. What I need to do is I need to spear closer to me than I think that the fish is to hit it. Isn't that interesting? In fact, you can see that light refraction process in play if you just put a spear in the water so you're standing out like in a lagoon or something and you put the spear down into the water you'll see that same effect that I was talking about like with your arm it'll look like the spear breaks so that it's offset from where it actually should be what is that perceptions so the light refraction is actually affecting your perception of where the fish is you think the fish is there it ain't it's offset from that in reality so you see how the perception that's a good example actually now that I think about it if you're on your first trip trying to spearfish you're standing with so your legs are in the water but you're above the water you see a fish your perception of where the fish is causes you to do what it causes you to throw the spear where the fish is not you see how the perception determines your behavior. It, it, your decision-making process is built on your perceptions. So when you throw the spear, you're making a decision about where to throw the spear based on your perceptions of where the fish is. If your, percep if your perceptions are off, well then the decision that you made is flawed, isn't it? That's how important our perceptions are and how powerful they are. So what is the work of authentic recovery like then? The work of authentic recovery is like that cameraman in Egypt at the, at the pyramids of Giza or Gaza saying, you know what? I'm tired of this false stuff. I'm, I'm tired of this narrative of this uh, distorted reality. I want the real reality turning around and seeing the city right there. I mean, the pyramids don't disappear. They're still there. But now you've got the actual context, the reality of the situation with those pyramids. They're not out in the middle of the desert nowhere. They're right next to a major bustling city. 
now now you understand the truth the true nature of this thing recovery is like saying you know i prefer i prefer to think of paris as just being this pristine romanticized place that's what i prefer but i don't want to live in a fictional world of based on my feelings like what i prefer i prefer to live in a world where i see reality no matter how i feel about it and then you're just like that cameraman walking around turning around and seeing all the slums all around the eiffel tower in other words authentic recovery is a process of destroying narratives in favor of the truth no paris will no longer seem as perfect as it once did but you got to remember it was never perfect to begin with it was never perfect to begin with you were only falsely viewing it that way you were rejecting anything that seemed to contradict that it's much much better to see the truth even if it doesn't make you feel quite as good do you know why imagine if all of the newspapers and all of the magazines and all the television shows and all these things could not get away with only highlighting the good parts of Paris. Think about that. What if they could not get away with that? What if every time they tried to only show the Eiffel Tower and just the beautiful parts of Paris, a hundred other people stood up and said, that is not what Paris looks like. It, it does look like that if you omit all this other stuff, but you're, you're very craftily doing this in a way to create a narrative, a false narrative of what Paris looks like and what it's all about. So we're not going to let you get away with that anymore. So every time a television show or documentary tried to do that, like the television broadcast would get interrupted and a man would step in and say, you're being fed bullcrap right now. Here, we're going to turn the camera around. We're going to show you what they're not showing you. Now, imagine if that happened every time. What, what would be the natural result of that? Paris would clean up those slums, wouldn't they? Yes. But as long as they're allowed to ignore it and pretend like it isn't what it is, and as long as they're able to sell a lie, and people, the majority of people believe the lie, the slums can continue to exist as they are. No improvements need to be made. So think about that in terms of authentic recovery. No Paris, you know, as an example, it's no longer going to seem perfect, but that's a good thing. It's a good thing to see the slums so that you can say, what are we going to do about these slums? And make efforts to improve things and make it to be what you really... So instead of lying about what it is, like lying, this is, this is how it is, it's all this it's so beautiful and so perfect instead of lying about that once you challenge the narrative and you, you destroy the narrative and now you're like ah well now you can begin the work of making it be how before you were lying that it was if that makes any sense now you you, you can make it be for real the way that before you were just trying to make everybody believe it was. So challenging the narrative, destroying the narrative, is an actually very healthy and positive thing. It's what's got to happen in authentic recovery. Practically everything on television is lying to you. Practically everything in movies is lying to you. Um, that's just the world we live in now. Everything's lying to you. The government's lying to you. Scientists are lying to you. Politicians are lying to you. Doctors are lying to you. A and why? <laughs> it goes back to what we mentioned at the beginning, isn't it? What's the most important thing to remember about people? They're people. All right. Well, we've run out of time, but I'm, I did want to... <laughs> let me include a couple campfire stories, all right? Ha had some friends over to the house, to my house when I was a kid. And they would come, because we lived so far out, 
that when our friends would visit us, they'd visit from like out of state, out of town, stuff like that, and they they would usually spend a few days with us at our house. Like their parents would come and and stay at our house, and it was on a, an occasion like that. We were all up in the living room, chatting and talking, and playing games and everything, and uh, the adults were sitting on chairs. We kids were down on the floor, a carpeted floor. And uh, my friend Mark, it was uh, my friend Mark and his uh, brother Matt, and they had a younger uh, brother named Billy. We're all sitting down on the carpet, and we're listening to the uh, the dads tell stories and stuff. You know, it was very entertaining. And he, 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 he nudges me on the arm. And he's got something in his fingers. And he goes, and he goes, look, look what I found on the carpet, and he shows me this thing, like he's trying to figure out what it is. You know what it was? It was a rolled up booger. <laughs> Somebody had picked their nose. <laughs> Somebody had picked their nose and flicked it. <laughs> Hopefully, it'd never be found again. And here, Mark comes over. <laughs> Picks it right up off the carpet, trying to figure out what that is. It was a rolled booger or something. <laughs> it might have been mine. I don't know. Let's see. Uh, Rachel. I was dating a girl named Rachel. Uh, how old was that at the time? Early, early 20s. And uh, she invited me out to uh, the house where she grew up, and she had some family out there. and uh, She had some horses. And so uh, we were riding around on her horses, and I got tired of riding the horses. We weren't riding them with, uh, we were riding them bareback. I got tired of riding them. I got off. There was a barn up over the hill that I wanted to go up and explore that barn. It was, uh, and I did eventually. It was a barn where they were uh, drying tobacco leaves. Uh, And that that was kind of cool, but this was just out in the middle of uh, West Virginia somewhere. And uh, so she she continues riding this horse for a little bit, and uh, she goes riding down the road. So there's a, a dirt road there nearby us, and the farmer had an electric fence. She's riding back and forth on that horse. I'm just waiting for her to get tired of riding the horse so we can go check out the barn. She rides down the road and disappears, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm just like, what is taking her so long? I really want to go check out this barn. So, really, like so much time passed, I thought, what is going on down there? And so I got impatient. I started walking down this road to find out where did she go? And I get about halfway down, and the horse comes trotting back all by itself. And so I grabbed the horse by the mane, and I start leading it in the direction where it had just come and I finally find her she is covered head to toe in mud her hair is wet and matted against her and she's just caked in mud and I said what on earth happened now get this getting thrown from a horse is embarrassing and painful enough but she didn't just get thrown from the horse she got thrown from the horse on top of the electric fence and when she did, the electric fence gave in, and there was a puddle beneath it, and she fell into the mud puddle on top of the electric fence. And every time she was trying to get up, the pulse would come through and give an electrocutor. So she was just in that mud puddle for like five minutes, trying to get out of the mud puddle, just getting electrocuted the whole time. I mean, it's a wonder that she didn't get hurt worse than she actually did but uh, she survived it and (laughs) it was at times it has been hilarious to me remembering that of all the places to get thrown off a horse to get thrown off a horse on top of an electric fence down into a mud puddle uh, can it get any worse than that? I don't think so last story when my little girl Eloise, who's not so little anymore, she's getting bigger all the time. When she was about uh, three, she did one of the cutest things uh, 
it's still I think about it all the time just just how innocent children are but uh, you know how you take your phone like if you've got an iPhone and you've misplaced your iPad and you don't know where your iPad is you can say hey Siri where is my iPad and then on your phone Siri can track down your iPad and show you like your iPad's here or you left it out in the car and stuff like that and vice versa you know if you're just using your iPad but you can't locate your phone you can do that with Siri as well so at like three she must have seen me doing this all the time <laughs> so uh, one day she wanted to go to the park and I said well honey you gotta get your shoes on if we're gonna go to the park so she's okay and she runs and she gets her shoes starts putting her shoe on she, she can only find one so she comes back to me and she says daddy I don't I don't know where my other shoe is and I said well honey I don't know where your other shoe is you gotta you gotta make sure you put them in the same place all the time so you never have to look for them uh, you can see she gets an idea in her head she runs over and gets my phone and she says hey Siri Where's my other shoe? <laughs> I just about dropped over from cuteness overload. Just the innocence of that. Of her believing that you can just ask Siri anything, where, where anything is. And Siri would know. You know, She didn't understand how Siri worked, how iPhones work and stuff like that. But, but she had seen me locating like my iPad using that method. And it occurred to her. Well, if, if Siri can tell him where his iPad is, she can tell me where my other shoe is. So that's all for this show today, folks. Uh, I had a lot more to talk about. A lot's going to get cut out of this show. But uh, I, want, I like to try to keep it at an hour. So thank you for joining me during this fifth season of uh, Last Symptom Podcast. And I'm really looking forward to the sixth season. Please join us over there on our locals group and start taking care uh, advantage of the live streams every Monday. Become a supporter if you can. You don't have to be. You can just be a, a free member and access, I'd say, 98% of the content on the site. But becoming a supporter is a nice way to financially support what I'm doing and get some perks in return for it. And that's all i got to say about that. Do something nice for yourselves this weekend. You wonder why I'm wearing this Phillies jersey? It's because the Phillies are doing pretty good out there. I'm really excited about them. And if you're wondering who do I like better, the Phillies or, or the Red Sox, well, for those of you who aren't here in the States, there's an American League and there's a National League. So Red Sox obviously are my favorite team from the American League. Phillies are my favorite team from the National League. And the way it usually works is whoever's doing the best in any given season it's the one who gets most of my attention and support. Uh, right now, there's some funny things happening in Boston as, as far as the Red Sox go. I mean, they've gotten rid of so many of their good players, and it just seems like the owners are not invested, and it's awfully hard to invest in... You know, I, I'm always going to love the Red Sox. They are always going to be my American League team. But, I mean, as far as, like, really devoting a lot of energy to watching the games and stuff... When the ownership doesn't even seem to be invested, it's awfully hard to invest myself. So this season, what it's come down to is I've watched a lot more Phillies games than Red Sox games. And to be honest about it, um, you know, I, I lived in Philly for like 13 years, and I lived in the Boston area for like three. So, you know, I, definitely Philadelphia is like my adopted hometown. Whereas Boston was like this really great experience, that a very temporary experience, and and I'm glad I had it. But uh, I think I'll always be partial to Philadelphia and the Phillies and and the Philadelphia way of life. That does not mean to say I don't love the Red Sox. I really do, and I always will, and I'm a huge supporter of them. In fact, until just the last couple of years, just like I watched almost. Uh, all the baseball games I watched were almost exclusively Red Sox games. But like I said, they've gotten a lot of a rid of a lot of players. So it's just not the same team right now. And um, I'd like to see I'd like to see ownership 
be a little bit more invested in their success before I get too enthusiastic about it. But um, that's all for today. I'll, I'll see you guys on the group and see you in the next episode of the show, which will be the first episode of season six. Take care, everybody.